Well, we're in week two of our new series called For the Life of the World. And as we've been talking about this last week, and as I've been thinking about preparation, I think one of the questions most people have is, what is my life for? Like, what is my life about? What is my purpose? I think this stretches through people, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not. I think it goes for all ages. There comes this point where we wonder, okay, what, what is life all about? Is life really about getting up at the same time almost every morning and going to a job and making some money, getting a, a paycheck, going home to whoever might be there if someone's waiting for you, getting through the night if you have kids, getting them to do their homework and getting to bed just to get up and do it all over again. And then for many of us, we look back and we think, man, what, what have I done over the last few months, over the last few years, or at the end of our lives, what have I done over my lifetime? And we wonder, what is our life really for? And so we're spending some time looking at this. We want to intently look at what our lives are for and what we believe God has called us to. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's more than what we've been experiencing. Maybe there's more to our lives than what we have, have thought. Um, so yesterday was one of the greatest experiences of my lives. I've already been sharing this with many of you today. If uh, you're with me on Facebook, um, I've been hunting the last several seasons with my daughter, uh, who is about to turn 12, and uh, I was able to take her hunting yesterday. And we had a great day, and I'll, I'll tell a, briefly a little bit of the story, but at the end of it, she's like, are you going to tell everyone tomorrow? She knows me well. Uh, she's like, are you going to share this story? And I was like, yeah, I probably will. She's like, how are you going to apply it? And I was like, that's a good question. And I was like, uh, but I will figure out a way. And so as I was praying, I really actually, I do want to share this story. Uh, but I do think there is a key point to something that happened for us yesterday that I think will help us get to where we're going um, today. So for three seasons, Kennedy has sat with me in a stand and we have seen just a couple of dough. Uh, she really hasn't had a chance to see me harvest anything. And so this year, I was going to do that again, and she said, yeah, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to hunt on my own. I'm ready to shoot. And so we get out into the stand yesterday morning at 6.35, and by 7 o'clock, there are eight deer in the field. Uh, I, have, I told her as this is happening, I was like, I haven't seen this many deer in my life, and you, baby girl, have this many right now. And so we see that several of them are large bucks, and some of you aren't hunters, but those are the trophies, right? We weren't after that. We were literally, we were going to shoot... Not necessarily Bambi, but something a little bigger than Bambi. Uh, we were just going to harvest something. And so we get these deer in the field, and my daughter is ready to shoot, and she shoots, and, and she hits the deer. I know she hits it, and it runs off. And so there's just this feeling of excitement and emotion, and we hug, and we're so excited, and, and we wait, and we're already telling stories of everything we've experienced in the morning. And, and we go out into the field, and there is no blood. There is no sign that she hit this deer. And so, again, not a hunter for many of you, but, but that's not always a good sign, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that we didn't hit it. And so we find some blood not too long after that, and I'll, I'll keep this story short. I could tell this for the next 30 minutes, but uh, we, we find a little bit of blood, and we track this deer. We track this deer for several hours, uh, probably about a half a mile as we wind through the woods, and we kick this deer up two times, and, and, and so finally we let it rest. But it was interesting, as we're tracking this deer, I was very impatient, right? My thought was, well, he went this way. Let's just, I'm just going to keep going this way. And we would get there, and I couldn't find blood. And every time, Kennedy was like, we got to go back. we got to go back, and we got to find the last spot of blood that we, 
we saw and okay and we we would and then she'd be hands and knees on the ground finding little spots of blood and we'd we'd find more blood and i'd be ready to take off but she was so persistent she was so persistent to slow down to slow down and to look intently she knew where she wanted to go right she knew what the prize was that we were hopefully going to eventually get to but she knew she couldn't hurry she knew there were things that she had to do to get where we needed to go. And she's 11 years old. And I was missing it. I was just anxious to get where I was going, but not willing to really put in the hard work in the moment. And so for three hours, we shoot at 715. By 115, we finally have this deer in our possession. And she was committed to it the entire time because, as I said, she knew what she wanted. She knew what the goal was. And so as we talk today about very specific things, as we talk today about a very specific thing, I want us to see that there are some hard, there's some hard work that needs to be put in. That I think for many of us, there's this goal that we want to get to, and I think there's a goal that God has for us, but it doesn't just happen. It will not just happen by hurrying through life. It will not just happen if we are not quick to slow down and to look intently on what God would have for us. And so last week, Really, if you were not here, I would encourage you to go back. It's uh, on our YouTube channel. There's some information in the bulletin. You can go find it. Last week's message sets us up for the whole series. Uh, what has God called us to? The language it uses is an exile, as someone who's living in a land that's maybe not where they feel like they should be. So as followers of Jesus, there's times where we're like, man, I'm longing for heaven. I'm longing for peace. I'm longing for all of those things. And so we long for those things, but we know we're not always experiencing them. And we see hurt and we see pain and we see decisions that people make. And we think, man, I just feel like I'm meant for something else. I'm meant for more. But it's very clear in Jeremiah 29, as this group of people have been sent as exiles into captivity, God gives them a clear direction. I want to read this scripture uh, with you this morning as we head into uh, today's topic. Jeremiah 29. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. What it's going to say is <laughs> that as you've been sent into exile, this is what it says, to build houses and to settle down. And we said, look, when you build a house, it means you're committed to a place to settle down. This is your new home to plant gardens and eat what they produce, to work the land. Keeps going. to marry and have sons and daughters, to find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Your family is going to grow while you're sent into exile. Next one. And this is where we're headed. It says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, last week was kind of this big idea. What, what does it look like? Many of us, when we're in a position where we don't want to be, there's kind of this response that we have. Uh, many of us live this idea of fortification. I want to, I want to hide from culture. I want to hide from our, there's just too much pain. There's too much suffering. I don't know how to respond. And so I'm just going to hide from it. I'm going to withdraw from it. I'm going to create a subculture of people who live like me and think like me and worship like me, and I don't have to engage with anything around. I'm just going to fortify myself and my family. If we don't do that, then what we often do is we fight back. We feel like it's a fight that we have to win. And so we, we either hide from it or we fight against it. 
or we blend in and we begin to look like anyone else who doesn't believe what we believe. The hope that we have isn't coming across in our daily lives. And so we said, look, if, if we're going to do what, what these people are called to do and what I think they're called to do, God may be calling us to do now. I think what he's calling us to do is to contribute, to contribute to our community, to have the idea that maybe our community actually is supposed to be different and better because we are here. And not simply because you're here and because you're good and you have all these talents, but because God is with you, that the spirit of God is with you. And so we're called to contribute and we're called to live basically as immigrants, that we may feel like this isn't our home, that we feel like we're just passing through, but we are going to make this our home, that this is where God has put us. And then we're going to very, live very distinct lives, that we're going to continue to grow as, as they were told, that you're going to marry and have kids and their kids are going to have kids. What they're saying is you're going to continue to grow numerically, spiritually, and with purpose. And so today and moving forward, we're, we're going to try and look at it a little more practically. What, what does this look like? In everyday life, what does this look like? What does it look like to build houses and gardens? Is that really what we're supposed to do, to build families? What would that look like, to seek the peace and prosperity of every person who lives in our community? Here's part of the problem I think we have. I think we have lost the sacredness of the ordinary. I think we've lost the sacredness of the ordinary, that only the biggest and the best things are what are significant. And so in the, the age of comparison, in the age of social media, if you feel like you're not living up to someone else and what someone else is doing, you think you have nothing to give. So we have lost sight of just the everyday ordinary things that we do and how those can actually become sacred and used by God. I was talking to someone this week who thinks their, their kid, their, their son is probably going to be getting married soon and, and proposed when we were talking about how social media has kind of ruined that. That he, that he almost feels like he can't just propose, right? That it's not enough just to, to be with the one you want to be with for the rest of your life and confess your love and your desire to take them in marriage. You have to make sure you have someone hiding in the woods to take pictures at the right time and you have to have all the right stuff that we can't just propose or when we're giving an announcement that we're having a baby, that is sacred in itself, or the, the gender reveal, right? There's all these huge things that we have to do. We, everything seems and feels like it has to be a show. But these are very ordinary things that those who are capti in captivity are being told to do, to build houses, to plant gardens, to have families, to seek peace and the prosperity of everyone. Those are Fairly ordinary things, but God is saying there is a sacredness to that. There is something good that will come from that. And so what if we could get back? What if we could pay attention and look intently to the things that really matter? Today, we're going to look at the economy or the resource of love, but not just any love. That, that seems like a really big word, uh, but the resource of love in our families. Uh, we're, we're going through this in small groups as well. It's in the bulletin. Uh, there's a movie that we're watching that leads to dialogue. I want you to see the trailer for this week. Do you ever feel that way as a family that you have to kind of save the world, that to have an ordinary family doesn't seem like it's enough? That you always feel like you got to do more and we compare ourselves to other families. But what if, what if we could look intently and what if 
We could pay attention to what maybe God is saying to us. As we talk about this and we think of the subject as family, uh, family is defined in lots of different ways. Right? Our families look so different even as we gather here uh, today. Family looks different, whether it's uh, the typical uh, mom and dad and two and a half kids and a dog and possibly a cat. Like, maybe you have that, and that's the ideal family that we have always thought of, but, but we know that families look very different. Whether it's a single parent family, whether it's a blended family, whether it's grandparents raising their grandchildren or adoptive families and foster families. And man, family looks so different. And so as we think about this, what is the intent of family? What, what is God's desire for the family? Here are three things I want to give you as we talk about this today, as we think about love and as we think about the family. Uh, three things that we see throughout the story of the Bible, right? Not just one story, but if I could, I would share multiple examples of how this applies, but really the story of family and love throughout the scriptures. The first thing that we have to see is important is that God has created family. It was God's intent. It was his idea to create family. Uh, can you imagine as we look in the beginning and God begins to speak thing into it, things into an existence, that he speaks and light is created. The world is created that the animals are, he just speaks and he speaks all of those things into existence. And then we get to a point where he speaks humanity into existence. And it was different than anything else. That there would be this desire to worship, this desire to connect back to him as the creator. Uh, look, at, look at this scripture in Genesis 2, 18 through 24. So he creates Adam and everything is, is good and everything is going well. He's in perfect relationship with the Father. Sin and brokenness has not entered into the world. But listen to what we hear happen. It says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and birds of the air and beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. This is so interesting to me because Adam doesn't seem to be in need of anything. Right? He's not lacking anything. He has God in the presence of God more than any of us could ever imagine. Yet God says, you need more. N not that people take the place of God, but God is saying, you need a helper. You need someone to walk through life with. You need community. And so he creates Eve. And then we see they begin to grow in family. This is God's idea. This is God's plan for the universe. That, that we would contribute to our world by having kids. I mean, can you imagine, there, there's, if you've had children, you've had uh, the opportunity to do that, whether biologically or uh, through, through foster or adoption, 
Uh, there's no instruction that comes with it. This was God's plan, right? Uh, there's no instruction. And kids aren't able to talk, right? They can't communicate how they're feeling and what they're needing. But in that moment, as uh, a mother specifically, as you're connected to this baby, the desire is to give back to them. That, that truly, as parents, it means not being selfish, right? It is an act of selflessness to care more about someone else. If you've had kids, you, you would do anything for that child. And this was God's plan, his perfect and good plan of how things should begin to work and to, to function in our world. We see in Genesis 17, uh, 6 through 7, it says this to a, a guy named Abraham. I will make you very fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. He's 99 at this time. And God is giving him a promise that you are going to be fruitful and be blessed. But the intent of it wasn't just for himself. The intent was you are going to now have a blessed life, but for generations, they will be blessed because of this covenant. And so the plan of God is that his blessing, his blessing would spread through this family. And so it wasn't just for them, but for future generations. It was for you and for me. The language of family is also used to speak of those who are followers of Jesus. Listen to this in Ephesians 2.19. It says this, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. Also, that word we've looked at as exiles, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. This is God's plan, that there is a purpose for family, for immediate biological family, for extended family, for those of us who have invited people into our homes and we call them family. There is a purpose for that. It is the economy or the resource of love that we should be blessed by that, but we should also be a blessing. But it doesn't just stop in our home. Those who say they're followers of Jesus, the word here is oikos, that the household is a representation of God's family, that this was the intent of God and there's purpose. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 says this, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. He's saying here that the purpose of the family, for whom his whole family, not just if we're not related or we're not in the same home, but for the family, the oikos, the household of God, the purpose that we have in our lives and our love for one another is so that we would be able to grasp how wide and how deep, how long, how high the love of God is. I don't know about you, but there are times when it's hard for me to sense God's presence. 
Just to be honest. There's times I pray and I offer prayers up to God and I wonder if he heard me. Does it even matter? Like, there's just those moments where you fear, feel far from God and we rely on emotion a lot. And it's almost as if, as I read this, the writer of this, Paul, is saying, in those moments, you're going to sense the love of God in community. You're going to sense the goodness in the full measure of God because you're connected to other people. So there are moments when someone cares for me, who says they're praying for me, who encourages me, who spends time with me, when I sense the presence of God and I feel like I'm a part of the oikos, the household of what God is doing. The purpose of family, the purpose of love is to show others the goodness of who God is. It's as if God is using us to put on display the love of God. Um, when, when I first started going to church, the guys, and I've talked about this, the guys who invited me to come, a guy whose name was Jeremy and the other guy was Brad. My parents weren't going to church and Jeremy's family would often come and pick me up. And I, I don't know if I've shared this before, but, but Jeremy's dad was hit by a drunk driver while he was on his way to teach Sunday school at Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. There's a young man who was still intoxicated from the night before, and he, he hit Jeremy's dad and, and put him in a coma, and it was paralyzed from the shoulders down. While Jeremy's dad was in a coma, paralyzed from the, the neck down, Jeremy's mom was in labor and, and having a baby. And as you can imagine, you've been through some difficult things in your life. There have been moments when you think, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Maybe you've hit those moments where, where you begin to question God and you want to walk away from God. I had several years of watching this family. I had several years of, of watching Jeremy, who I played football with. His dad was in a, a, a motorized uh, cart. He had regained a little bit of feeling in one arm and he could drive a little cart. And I remember at games, Jeremy would go over and he would grab his dad and he would pull him up in his seat and he would adjust him and he would hug him and then come play football. And his mom cared deeply for community and would have us over. And she cared so much for people. But she was putting on the display of God's love, the strength of God, the peace of God, the peace that surpasses all understanding. They were putting this on display for everyone to see. I can't even express, she was here a few weeks ago at, at Trinity, and, and every time I tell her, I, I tell her, you don't understand the, the impact you had on my life. That when I did not know who God was, I was learning who God is through you guys. That the economy of God's love, the resource of love in our lives, when lived out in family and community, has the opportunity for massive impact. I think this is what we long for. I think we long to see this, but I think we long for us to show this and experience this with one another. But I also know that there's heartache that comes in family. I think God has put something in us to say, this is what it looks like, but, but there's times when we're far from that. And we have pain and brokenness and disappointment. But yet God is still using the vehicle of God's the vehicle to get God's mission into the world is still the family. That we would love him and we would love others and we would put that on display. But as I've said, we feel the heartache of family as well. So the first thing, this was God's idea, but the second thing we know is that there is a problem. 
that there's pain that comes. And we see this with Adam and Eve. Adam, everything is perfect. He has given Eve and everything is perfect. And, and God has told him, you have all of this to participate in. All of this is yours. Eat from anything, just not that. And this is given to Adam and, and Adam fails to, to give this to Eve. And as Eve participates and Adam participates and they eat from the tree and they hide and feel shame, immediately there becomes a brokenness in their family. There's a brokenness between them and with God. But God comes looking for them. Don't, let's slow down just for a second. Uh, you have run from God. Maybe you have abandoned him and something has brought you back today. You may not even know why you're here. This is what I want you to hear, you say, to hear me say, that God is always pursuing us. He is always pursuing us. And so as Adam and Eve break uh, the, the plan that God has for them, that, that God has been very clear not to do that, and they do it, and they hide in shame, and they cover themselves up, God goes looking for them. He goes looking for them, and he begins to restore them, and then they have kids, and we know, for many of us, we know what happens is they have kids. Uh, one of their boys is jealous and kills the other son. We see the brokenness. And I could go through this story after story in the scriptures. Abraham, who we see who is called to be the father of nations and is going to bless people, we see that he makes decision, that there's deceit within his family. We, we see that there's favoritism with Isaac and his family with Esau and Jacob. We, we see that in Judah's family that there is scandal, that his daughter-in-law dresses up and pretends to be someone else so he can, she can be with him. That there is all kinds of stuff as you read the scriptures. It could go on and on. I don't know if you know this, but as Jesus is like 12 years old, his parents lose him. I don't know if you know that. They come heading back. They get home. They're like, hey, where's Jesus. We don't have Jesus. Some of you ever experienced that? You think you have your kids with you? Uh, you're in good company. The mother and father of Jesus, they do not know where he's at. We, we also see at one point Jesus is beginning to, to have some impact and do some things. Listen to this in Mark 3, uh, verse 20 and 21. It says this, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard of this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. This is Jesus' family who's like, well, sorry about Jesus, right? We don't know what he's doing. This is the family of Jesus. There is still brokenness in that family. There are issues and there is things that are going on. Yet this, again, is the vehicle that God is using. I don't have time, but if we were to go to Genesis 1, or Matthew 1, many of us, it lists the genealogy of Jesus. If you're like me, when I first started reading the Bible, you're like, all right, I have no idea what that's for. I'll go ahead and skip past that and go to the, the next part. But if you were to go back and you were to look at the names, if you were to go back and look at the names that are listed that lead to the birth of Jesus, there's brokenness all around in those families. There's pain and problems in all of those families. Yet they are the people that are used to bring hope into our world. That God's faithfulness is accomplished, that his purpose is accomplished even through those families. And here's what I believe. It can still be accomplished through ours. So you may think your family is too far gone. You may think that your family is broken. You think that your family can't be used. It's not true. 
It's not true. Even though there's problems, God still has a purpose for us. That it's through dysfunction, it's through pain and brokenness that we learn to forgive, that we learn to actually change. So when we ask for forgiveness, we then take the steps needed to then change. It's in family and in brokenness that we have an opportunity to, lead, to, to love deeply and to give grace, to encourage and uplift, to welcome others into our homes. This sounds a lot like the church. So as I said before, the plan of God was not only the immediate biological family, but is the oikos, the extended family, the church family, the, the family of God. And let's just be honest, there is still brokenness in the family of God. There is pain and there is conflict and there are people who get their feelings hurt. There is rumors and they're in gossip. There's gossip. So if you're new and you're investigating uh, what's going on, the first thing I want you to know is we try and be honest around here. Right? What I really think is beneficial and life-giving is when we acknowledge and understand those things. And then we work towards reconciliation. We work towards peace. We work towards forgiveness. We work towards understanding. We gather together. We meet. We have conversations. We work towards healing. The, the, the church, the oikos, the family of God is not absent of those things. Broken people make up the church. The only difference is we, we feel and we believe that we have someone who brings healing to our lives. And we believe that he is helping us to become more like him. And so we cling to the hope of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the one who will help us as the church to unite, to come together, to find healing and cling to hope. So God's the creator of the family and its intent. But we know because of out of rebellion that there's problems that come. But the third thing, is I've, as I've been alluding to with the church, there is this all-inclusive family. There is an all-inclusive family. God's design for family is much bigger than what most of us can even imagine, and that is the church. Uh, Mark 3, 31 through 35. Mark 3, 31 through 35. We just a few um, verses later after uh, they've come to make excuses for Jesus and to say sorry about what's going on. Uh, we see this. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside, and they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And this is what his response is. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. It is in this moment where Jesus is saying, we have to understand the intent of family. That family is much bigger than what we could ever imagine. That you as a follower of Jesus are my brother. One of the things I love about pastoring here and having close community with, with people and some who I've known for a really long time is my kids begin, without really even telling them to, begin to call them aunt and uncle. Right, so we have lots of aunts and uncles. Right? Former students of mine who have been so connected for the last almost 13 years who have become family. That, that I would never say, well, you're not really my kid's aunt, so don't call them that. What my kids have picked up on is family is much bigger than last name. 
Family is much bigger than DNA. Family is much bigger than all of those things. Family is about caring deeply for one another. We see Jesus right here saying that may be the one who had me and she is my mother, but you are my family as well. And so the purpose of all of this is to be people who bring peace, prosperity into our communities, who deal patiently with one another, who deal with conflict, who give to others, right? We give to others when we see need, but also as family that you're able to receive. Like I think truly to be able to be generous, we have to understand what generosity looks like when it's given to us. That we all recognize that we need family and the role of the church can help in that. That you're not alone, that you can connect with other people here that we're not lost, that we have purpose and that God wants to use us. And so we believe that loving our neighbor is creating a community that says you are welcome, that anyone is welcome here, that loving our neighbor means loving those within our church family. We don't want to be so uh, focused on serving others that we forget the people who sit around us here at Trinity have needs as well. So we provide meals for people in need, that we sit and we mourn with others when there's loss, that we celebrate weddings and blessings with one another. When people are jobless, we work together to find jobs for people or how they can pay their bills temporarily. We, we do that because we are connected and we are family. It is the picture of heaven. It is the picture of heaven. Uh, Revelation 7, 9, in the end, it says this. Uh, the writer is writing uh, almost as if he's had a dream prophetically, like he's trying to communicate the best he can what heaven is going to look like. And he says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. That heaven is not going to be divided up Heaven is not going to be in sections of people by race or nationality or by gender or by what language we speak, but we will be in complete community and in family worshiping God together. And that's what we're working towards here. That when we come into this place, that's what we want this environment, that's what we want this community to look like. That no matter what people look like, no matter what differences we may have with one another that we believe God has called us together for one purpose, and that is to worship God. And when we begin to do that, we put on the display of God's love for us to everyone else around us. So just like I said last week, what if your life was not simply about yourself? What if your life was actually to benefit the life of the world, the people you work with, your neighbors, those you go to school with? that others should benefit because God's presence is with you? And then what if your family was much more than just meeting and living together in your house? That it was actually an opportunity to put on the display of God. I practically want to give you a couple of things. Greg's going to come up and we're going to sing this song, but as he comes up, I want to give you just a couple of practical things. Would you invite someone over for a meal? And immediately, I know what happens when we think about that. We, we're busy. Well, I got to get my house together. It's got to look perfect to have someone in my home. What, what if you just said, hey, we're just having dinner. Would you come over and have dinner with us? Yeah. And we begin to see that family is much more than just those who live in our house or share blood or those we've brought in, but it's extended to those outside. Then maybe you just meet for coffee, that you 
actually pray for other people, right? That, that when someone says, could you pray for me? Maybe you pray for them right there. I know several people who, who keep a little book and they write down names and needs and they pray for those people. As a family, we lift one another up. But you can begin to see that even if your family feels like it's broken, if you feel like there's problems, that you don't look like other families, that you're not able to share and you're not doing great things and you may feel like you don't have impact, God has a purpose for your family. The love that you show to one another and the love you show to the community could quite possibly show someone else who God is and what God thinks about them, that we could put that on display and that our families too could be for the life of the world. Would you stand with me as I pray and Greg leads us in this last song that we sing, this declaration of what we want to be about and what we want to put into practice. God, thank you for uh, today. Thank you for family. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful that even as I look out, all of our families look so different. We're in all different places. Uh, But God, you care deeply about each one of us and our families. And I believe that you're calling us to love one another well. And that when we love one another, it puts on display who you are, your grace, your faithfulness to us, our willingness to forgive others because you have forgiven us. So God, would you help us to move in this direction? May others see your love through our families. I pray this in Jesus' name.